beware the mountains. The further you climb them, the closer you get to something that does not want you there. You can ask any experienced mountain hiker or climber, and you'll hear some very odd and often creepy stories. So here are 10 of those stories, scary encounters in the mountains. Remember, you can be in a future video. Just send your story at darknessprevails.org submit. I'm looking for alleged sightings of the Goatman and the Raven Mocker. Number one, Devil Cat by Reaper. I recently turned 33, and what I'm about to tell you about is something I hope I never have the misfortune to encounter again. The first time I was told about this creature was by my father, who was 69 years old, and he still swears that this was the most horrifying experience of his life. When my father was eight years old, growing up in the mountains of Southwest Virginia, one source of income was to hunt animals for their furs. Of course, the remainder of the animals did not go to waste, seeing as how various wild animals were always on the menu. One summer night, around the middle of June, my father and my grandfather, along with a couple of my family members, got together and set out on a hunt. This would prove to be a night none of them would forget. My grandfather had just gotten a pair of hunting dogs a few months prior, and they were some of the best he had ever owned. According to my father, they weren't even scared to face off against a bear. The logging road they were hunting on went for miles back through the woods and had an uphill grade on one side, and the other side just continued down the mountain. Their only source of light was the full moon that night and an old carbide lantern. Their only instruments for the hunt were single round 22 calibers, but the ejectors were messed up, so after every round, they would have to pick up the casing out of the barrel themselves. After a few hours of hunting and having scored a couple of possums, they decided to leash the dogs and start walking back home. About halfway back, they were coming up on some bushes on the hillside of the logging road when the dogs began to sniff the air and start lunging toward the bushes. Let them go, my grandfather told my father. We'll get whatever's in those bushes before we get home. My father did as he was told, and the dogs began to run straight for the bushes and out of sight. A few moments later, and there was the most terrible sound any of them had ever heard coming from the direction the dogs had gone. It was a sound of growling and roars mixed with the dogs' yelps of pain. Suddenly, the dogs both ran limping from the bushes and cowered around my grandfather's feet. Then they saw what had scared the dogs. A creature leapt out from the bushes onto the logging road, crouching down as if ready to pounce. It glared at them with yellow eyes, eyes flickering with the reflection of the lantern. By the light of the full moon and the light of the lantern, they were able to see this thing quite well. The creature was eight feet long, with a tail that was swaying back and forth around the ground behind it, the same way an angry cat would. It was covered in pitch black fur that was much darker than the night around it. Its ears were pointed and stuck straight up from its head, and in the near darkness, the ears looked more like horns than ears. It had an elongated head, similar to that of a horse, but the mouth was full of razor-sharp teeth, complete with two very long fangs. Then they heard a sound that made their veins run cold. The thing screamed like a woman from a horror film, only a hundred times louder. It hurt their ears so much that they had to cover them. They then couldn't help but fall to the ground on their knees. My father picked himself up and began to run, but my grandfather caught him by the shoulder and pulled him back. I'm sure if he hadn't, I wouldn't be around to tell you this story now. My father was too scared to use the 22 on the creature. The rounds wouldn't do enough, 
and he was afraid that it would simply anger it. They were only a single shot as well, and he would not have time in that scenario to dig out the casing and place another one in the chamber. That's when he noticed that the all-black creature seemed to be hesitant and staring at the fire flickering in the lantern and kept just out of the edge of its glow. That was their only saving grace. They stood close together and began to make their way as fast as possible toward home, which I would imagine wasn't very fast as they all huddled to stay within the glow of the lantern. As they slowly escaped, the creature circled them as they made their way down the logging road. First, it would be in front, then behind them, completely silently, then on either side. And from time to time, it would let out that horrifying, ear-piercing scream. When they reached the edge of the woods, they all started running toward the house as fast as they could and ran through the front door, slamming it behind them. My father, the last one in, locked the door and went to the living room window to look outside. And there, in the front yard, was the black, cat-like creature. It was pacing back and forth, glaring at the house with those yellow eyes, screaming that terrible scream again. None of them slept that night, and none of them were brave enough to leave my grandfather's house until sunrise. It was the only time my grandfather ever let the dog stay inside overnight. They would never hunt at night again, and no one in the family would hunt in that part of the woods either. Over the years, several members of my family have seen, heard, or have been chased by a similar looking creature in those mountains. Cousins, uncles, even my own brother have seen it and have been extremely shaken by the experience. I'm in no hurry to come across the thing, but if I ever do, I hope I'm carrying something far more powerful than a single round half-broken 22. Number two, Evil Entity by May Helen T. I was 10 years old. When I was that young, every summer, me and my family used to visit my grandpa for a couple of months. He lived way up in the mountains. It was a great and beautiful place, except for the house itself, specifically the second floor and the top of the stairs. I seemed to be the only one in my family who had noticed the strange happenings. One rainy day, when I was all alone in the house, I was in the kitchen making a snack when I suddenly heard a noise like someone was walking around upstairs. It scared me something fierce because I knew I was alone at the time, but still I yelled out, hello, to see if someone had come home without me noticing, but there was no reply. I went up to look and I saw that the upstairs was empty. I went back down again and continued to make my snack. Then I heard the noise once more, somehow scaring me more than before. I slowly checked again. Still, there was no one upstairs. I told myself it was just the house, settling or creaking in the wind. I went down and enjoyed my snack, and I was reading a comic. After a while, of course, I heard it again, and this time, something had fallen to the floor. Now, I was shaking, and it seemed to take me ages to bring myself up the stairs to check again. This time, the lights that had been on upstairs were out, and the top of the stairs were especially dark. I was scared of the dark at that age, aren't most kids? I remember looking up the stairs, and what I saw... What I remember seeing still scares the living daylights out of me. There was a dark figure with eyes glowing red. It was looking down at me and smiling. I couldn't bring myself to move even an inch, and all I heard was growling. When I could move again, after what felt like hours, I ran outside 
and I stayed there until my grandpa came back home. I told him what happened, and he didn't believe me, nor did anyone else in the family. I didn't mention it again, afraid they would grow irritated with me, or even mock me. But after seeing it once, I continued to see the figure at the top of those stairs, especially if I was alone in the house, or if the lights were out. Years later, I found out that the house was built using logs that had been used to hang people. And all of those logs specifically were used to make the entirety of the upstairs floor. Needless to say, I've never been alone there again. Nowadays, my aunt owns the house on the top of the mountain. And even now, I can still see still remember the evil shadow upstairs, and I don't like going up there. When I do have to visit, I use one of the nearby cabins to sleep in, keeping me far and away from the demons squatting upstairs. Number three, Demon Encounter in New Caledonia by Poe Rivateato. I'm a 22-year-old French-Canadian woman from Quebec City, and last year, I experienced something out of the ordinary. I was studying in Tahiti, French Polynesia, for about three months, when I decided to take part in a two-week field trip to New Caledonia, organized by my host university. Before joining the trip, I had little knowledge of New Caledonia and the culture of the people who lived there. Many of my Tahitian friends were somehow a little uncomfortable with staying on Kanek's lands due to former tribal rivalries and magic practices. But I personally didn't think too much of it. As I said, I knew little about the Kanek native culture at the time, and I thought they were only anxious or superstitious about leaving the island for the first time. The first week of the trip was amazing, we had so much fun discovering Nomea during the day and partying at night. Then for the second week, we left the capital to travel the center of the island, where we would stay a couple of days in the mountains in a nice camp. I shared a room with my colleague, Kat, from Quebec, who was part of the exchange program in Tahiti, like me. One night as our group was heading back to the camp from the restaurant we had enjoyed a nice meal at, I was blown away by the stars in the sky. I had never seen so many in my life. They were shining and sparkling. I stopped walking to gaze up at them, and that's when I felt something weird on my left bare foot. It was a sensation I'd never felt before, as if something was caressing my foot with a million tiny needles. Then I felt a powerful sting, followed by an intense rising pain on the top of my foot, I immediately let out a scream of pain and tears were rushing down my cheeks. It was so bad, my Tahitian friend Howell ran to me and carried me back to the camp. My teachers ran over to me wondering what had happened. When they saw my foot, it looked like it had gotten a centipede bite. One of them began to suck the venom out of the wound. I couldn't stop crying. I was in so much pain and angry that I didn't get a chance to see the thing that had bitten me. South Sea centipedes are venomous, but they can't really end you. They just hurt a lot. Another Tahitian friend of mine, Vi, came running and poured a Chinese remedy over my foot, and I felt the pain dim down a little bit. There was nothing more we could do that night about the incident, so I went to sleep hoping that the next day I'd feel better. Kat was already sleeping when I went to bed. I managed to get myself into my bunk, and I fell asleep immediately. It wasn't long before I woke up with an uneasy feeling. I opened my eyes and saw an imposing dark figure in the right corner of the room. It was standing in the dark just before the door. When I saw it, Fear invaded my body. 
I tried to scream to wake up Cat, but all I could do was squeak a near silent noise. I was totally aware of my surroundings, and I could see her sleeping in her bed, completely unaware of the situation. I couldn't move at all. I was completely paralyzed. My attention was turned towards those two red eyes coming from the figure. I couldn't see its face, but this thing, this creature, definitely was no man. I remember its arms being so long that it could touch me without even moving closer to my bed. And that's what it was doing. It was caressing me with long, clawed hands. I could feel tears running down my cheeks as I felt it happen. Panic was rising in my mind. It caressed me like that from head to toe for several moments. Then, as it began to claw harder and more violent, my Tahitian friend Vi entered the room unexpectedly, and as soon as he did, the thing disappeared in a quick puff and was gone. I immediately set up screaming and panicking. Vi had been on her way to check my foot and give me Tylenol. When she asked what was wrong with me, I told her what I had seen. She didn't believe me and laughed it off, claiming that I was just delirious from the bite. But it felt so real. No need to say that I didn't sleep well that night. I've never suffered night terrors before or sleep paralysis, and that's why I keep thinking that I encountered something else that night, something more than a fever dream. Maybe it is linked to the centipede bite. I've been doing research on the significance of centipedes in the Canic culture, as well as the Tahitian culture, but nothing matches the description of the event that night. Ever since then, I refer to centipedes as demon creatures, and to this day, I refuse to walk barefoot outside. Number four, The Mysterious Children of the Mountain by Homer O. I was in high school when my dad planned a trip to visit our grandparents in the Catanduanes, a province here in the Philippines. When he asked us to come with him, we were pretty excited since it would be our first time there. We could have rode a plane there, but we didn't want to miss the chance of witnessing different breathtaking views. So we rode a bus for 11 hours, a boat ride for four hours, and another bus ride for five hours from the port to our grandparents' house. Oh, it was a day's worth of travel, exhausting, but well worth it. They were so surprised and delighted when we arrived. My dad knows how fascinated I was with tales of the supernatural back then. He mentioned that my grandparents had a lot of stories to tell, so I kept bugging them during dinner that night until finally they started talking. I eagerly listened to their story. My grandpa came from a family of fishermen and farmers here in the mountains. He remembered one night when he was just a small child. His dad woke him up around two in the morning to prepare things needed for fishing. Still confused and half asleep, he slowly got up to help his dad. He carried the fishing rods on their way to the beach. There, they got on a small boat and paddled their way into the open water. They decided to anchor near the foot of one of the mountains and cast the bait into the water. They were on that boat for nearly two hours, but they hadn't caught anything so far. Not a single fish was taking the bait. My grandfather was being a kid, was getting cranky and insisting on going back, when, all of a sudden, near the top of that nearby mountain, there were torches, followed by the sound of distant children's laughter and playing. My grandpa seemed scared. He was asking himself who might those kids be? What were they doing on the mountain by themselves this late or early? His dad uttered that they may be one of the neighbor's kids. The next thing they heard was a rumbling noise, and the water under them began to ripple. The sound they heard next was like a big boulder rolling down the mountain, but they could not figure out where it was coming from. 
my grandfather was growing more scared by the second and demanded that they leave or else they may be crushed. His father told him to stay still and to be quiet. All of a sudden, something started pulling on the line. It was a fish. They put it in a basket, and not long after casting bait again, there was another catch. It happened over and over in some sort of marathon. Something was spooking the fish that way, and some of them were so frightened that they were jumping inside the boat, and all they had to do was grab them. When the basket was full, the rumbling sound disappeared, and the water grew calm again. Those children's laughs and torches in the distance vanished one by one as if they had been going inside a cave or had been blocked off by something. They went home puzzled, but happy nonetheless. The next day, his dad asked the neighbors to find out if any of their kids were on the mountain that morning. They told him that no one had been there and nobody goes there, especially at night. Nevertheless, whoever or whatever they were, my grandfather appreciated the help. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Number 5. The Beast of Mount Ophir By Horrible Experiences I live and grew up in Malaysia, and this story is about a mountain in Malaysia called Gunung Lelong, or Mount Ophir. There are myths and legends revolving around this mountain, such as the legend of Puteri Gunung Lelong, where the sultan had heard of a celestial princess's beauty and desired to marry her, but she gave him seven impossible conditions. That's a common legend that you can search up on the internet and just one story from the region. This story, though, was told by my father. When he was a child, his parents always brought him and his siblings to the mountain, not for hiking, but to go to the waterfall and bathe. My grandparents were poor and could not afford video games for my father and his siblings, so every holiday they would bring my father to Gunung Lelong's waterfall to bathe and enjoy. But they never went hiking, and my grandparents would never let them. Because, legend has it, there was a beast living on Mount Ophir. They say it's a woman who can transform into a lion, it is said that she is immortal because it was a punishment from God to her. God didn't want her to be reborn as she was evil, so she haunts the mountains for eternity. 
The woman targets men. Many expert hikers who have gone on the mountain ended up getting lost, many of which were never found. Those that did find their ways back came to tell this tale. My father's best friend was one of them. He was in the scouts. He had gone camping in the mountains a few times. Each and every time, he reported seeing a strange animal. But as they were in a big group, the strange creatures seemed to keep its distance and only watch. One day, my dad was driving and had his friend sitting at the passenger side. His friend is Wiccan and believes in things normal people can't sense, and my father happened to be driving past the mountain. All of a sudden, my dad's friend had a panic attack. He said he had seen something dark roaming across the mountain and that he did not want to go any closer. The thing was, at the time, no one had told him the legend. It was only then after he said that that my dad told him about the beast of Mount Ophir. After everything I've heard, you better believe I'll be avoiding the mountain. No hiking for me. Number six, we called it Jeffy by Mr. Drake. It was around May of 2008. It was me and some of my friends. We were all hanging out at Sam's house. We were 14-ish at the time. At some point, it started getting dark, so we started to tell each other scary stories. I think it was Doug who said, Hey, Sam, what about that thing you and Kyle saw a few years back? Now, at this time, I'd known Sam for just about two years. I knew him very well, but he had never spoken about anything paranormal before. Usually, he changed the subject very quickly. At this point, Kyle excused himself and walked away visibly pale. Then the other Kyle said, yeah, that's right. You guys didn't even go home that night you came to my house. Sam was nervous as he looked around and tried to change the subject. However, we were teenage boys who wanted dirt, so he caved. According to him, he and Kyle were on their way home from our friend Taylor's house. When they reached the bottom of the hill on that particular street, they saw something. I don't recall what time of year he said it was, but he said it was foggy that day and it got dark very early. They continued the story. There it was, crawling right across the street. No noise, no dramatic music, of course. The creature had long, stringy black hair, pale white skin, and it walked like its bones had been broken. It was unnatural and unnerving. At one point, it stood up and looked right at us, and with one of its long, bladed fingers, it seemed to wave at us, just with that single finger, like getting onto a child who was in the cookie jar. Then it shushed us and continued crawling across the road. After that, he said they ran to Kyle's house and spent the night there. The only way back to their houses was through dense woods or miles to the main road. Well, when they woke up, other Kyle's stepdad overheard them retelling the events from the previous night, and to their shock and dismay, he had said to them, So you guys saw Jeffy, huh? He went on to tell them every morning when he got up for work. He would see the pale figure of that thing in the woods behind the house while making his coffee. So from then on, whenever he told the story, he would refer to it as Jeff or Jeffy. It wasn't until 2013 that I personally found out that people all over had seen the thing. I started to piece it all together. Multiple people in my own neighborhood, as well as a couple of people in town, said that they had seen something weird. Without mentioning the whole Jeffy tale, one random person told me his story and described the same creature word for word. In the summer of that year, I was exploring and decided I wanted to see if the drain under our street connected to the other side. If so, I thought it'd be a cool place to hide things. I was 14 and lived in the North Georgian mountains. I was too chicken to do it alone, so I talked Sam into doing it with me. 
We grabbed a flashlight and two walkie-talkies, and we walked to the bottom of the mountain. We both climbed down, and I somehow convinced Sam to go first. Now, I honestly expected us to shine the flashlight and just see the end of the tunnel or a log blocking it or something. After all, this was a small one-lane road. He headed in, and I stood at the entrance. After getting our fill over Breaker Breaker 1-9s and copy that over, it started to get weird. He started crawling a while ago, and I could no longer see him, and I could barely hear him except through the walkie-talkie. But I could tell that he was getting scared, so I headed in behind him. I reached him after a few seconds, but at that point, I could no longer make out the exit. We both couldn't see the other side, but we kept crawling, pushing ourselves further, but we were starting to feel concerned. By now, we would have reached the other side of the road because it wasn't that wide, so where were we headed? It was at that time we began to see bones. Not a lot, mind you, just a few scattered here and there, small ones, actually. But then my skin tightened with goose pimples as I saw these large gashes cut into the sides of the steel drain pipes, four slashes on each marking. At first, I told myself they must be from when the pipe was installed, and it just got banged up. But the cuts were from the inside out, so maybe a bear got in here and got angry? It still didn't make sense to me. I told Sam what I saw, and he looked over at the gashes, and we both screamed like little girls, running out of the pipes as fast as possible. To this day, I still wonder what the slashes are from, and why that tunnel is so long. If you ever see Jeffy up in the Georgian mountains, I would stay far away. His name may be inviting, but those claws say otherwise. Number seven, The Headless Man by James. I'm 15 years old and I've been hunting for years now. A few years ago, I was staying over at my brother's place my brother is about 10 years older than me. I stayed at his house, and it was just me and him in the mountains of Tennessee. I've always had some problem with how his house was laid out, especially since there was about 150 yards of trees in every direction. I remember after school one day, it was the weekend, and being as I was fairly young, my father had dropped me off there to spend the weekend with him. When I made it to his place, I crashed on the couch, I was watching TV and had fallen asleep. When I woke up, I just sat there. I was staying up too late on my phone. Suddenly, I heard tapping at the window. It was pitch black out, save for a full moon outside. And I was wondering right away, who in the world would that be? Around these parts? At this time? It was immediately strange. I raised myself up to peer out the window that it had come from, but there was no one there. I slowly sat back down, but the feeling of never being watched never left me. A few minutes later, I heard movement coming from the same window. I went over and looked outside again, and there I saw a man-like figure 50 yards away from the house moving through the trees. I could only barely make out the silhouette of shoulders and legs, but I could not see his head. I was thinking it was some crazy neighbor or something. I went back to lay down, but about two hours later, I was looking at the door, unable to fall asleep. It was one of those doors with windows at the top of it. As I sat there gazing at it, but not really looking at it, I saw movement in front of my eyes and realized someone was standing just in front of the front door. I raised up with a gasp. As I continued to see the silhouette from there, my curiosity got the better of me. I figured if I looked out the window and saw who or what it was, that my fears would be calmed down. Surely, it was nothing more than a passersby, a stranger taking a really late walk a little too close to the house. But when I looked out the window to the front door area, I saw that it was a man. 
but he had no head. If he had one, he would be staring right through the window, given his posture. I screamed. My brother ran into the living room. I told him to look outside, that I saw someone there. He looked at the door window, but there was nothing. But still, being cautious, he checked all the windows, then went outside for a bit to look around, but there was no one there. He messed up my hair a little bit with his hand before going back to bed, telling me not to worry. The thing is, a few months after that incident, my brother sold his house, and he would never tell my family why he sold it, but something tells me he may have seen the headless man that I saw that night. Number eight, Creepy Lights in the Sky by Noah. I'm 16 years old and live in Chula Vista, California. It's a beautiful and decent-sized city located near the Mexican border. The west side is by the bay, which has the salty aquatic water, while the east side, where I live, smells like plants, which is by the mountains. Me and a few close friends were having a get-together at a boy's house on the same mountain, who we'll call Jaden for privacy reasons. It was getting dark, and it was winter, so it got dark earlier. The sky was a light baby blue and orangish color by then, and you could see the small crescent moon beginning to show more and more. We headed to the local park to go for a small walk, which was less than a half a mile away. We had to cross a small canyon to get there. Now, this canyon was not very wide, but was approximately the size of a football field. There were always coyotes and possums prowling about there, or mentally unstable men smoking out in public, or doing other worse things. After walking there with some friends for a bit, we returned further up to the top of the mountain, which was near a street where cars would always speed by on. Three of our friends were down in the cul-de-sac in our neighborhood down a trail from the canyon. Me and my friends Max, Cece, and Wendell were walking up to the top. That's around the time we saw a white light filling up the sky towards the south. It wasn't a car. First of all, we didn't hear anyone pass by for about five minutes. And secondly, the type of light wouldn't be able to fill up the sky like that. We assumed it was a spotlight, but there were no structures in that direction that would project such a light. And it was still far too bright to be any sort of spotlight. At the same time, Cece's phone kept turning on and off over and over again. That was creepy since it was a newer model iPhone, which is a generation six. It wasn't anything older and would run horribly because of its quality. Then we saw a red light fill up the sky and move as a streak and vanish directly overhead. As I struggled to find an explanation to this, I was getting freaked out. There were no cars passing by, no spotlights or anything like it. Plus, how would a red light light up the sky like that, leaving behind a trail or streak? The red light was even more bright than the previous white one, not to mention Cece's mobile phone. The moment the lights had disappeared, the phone stopped turning itself off and on and was quiet again. A minute later, we met up with some of the friends who were down in the cul-de-sac, waiting for Jaden to return as he took care of some things at his place. They had seen the white flash as well, and also mentioned that they hadn't seen any cars all night. Wendell revealed he saw the red flash of light as well. He said it was fear-shaped, and he even said it left a trail, so we had seen the same things. After that, we charged up Cece's phone and went on with the night as if nothing happened, though it was at the back of my mind the entire time. Number nine, Rock Thrower of Colorado by Jordan P. Several years ago, my dad was in town on a break from work 
my brothers, my dad, and myself decided to go on a fishing trip up to one of our favorite mountains, the Grand Mesa National Forest. On the way up, my brothers had made a joke about Bigfoot. You can obviously see where this tale is going. It wasn't uncommon for us to bring up the subject, as we always talked about Bigfoot when we were younger. We were all very fascinated by the idea. Upon the subject being brought up, my brother had said something along the lines of, it's like your encounter, Dad. I was confused and instantly asked what they were talking about, and so the story begins. The town we live in is the very same town my dad grew up in. Back then, my dad, Wayne, was in his late 20s. He and his friends decided to go late one night catfishing right off the Colorado River. They were fishing right off the bank and had a nice fire going, drinking beers, talking about girls, and who knows what else. About an hour into their late night fishing trip, they heard a very loud splash in the water. Right away, one of the first things they had thought was it must be a beaver slapping its tail in the water. But not long after that, another splash occurred, closer now. That sounded like a rock, one of them stated. My dad and his friends walked to the edge of the water. They scanned parts of the bank that were not hidden in foliage. My dad looked into the river itself and on the bank on the opposite side. In the middle of the night, the moonlight cast some light, enough that my dad could see movement directly across from them on the other side of the river, even though it was in a dark shadow. At that instant, a large rock landed just short of my dad's feet splashing him and his friend Chuck. Instantly, my dad knew it had come from the other side of the river. This spot on the Colorado River is well over 400 feet wide. I don't know how many of you have tried to throw a golf ball-sized rock that distance, but it's not easy. River rocks vary anywhere from two inches in diameter to 10 inches. The rocks that were being thrown were at least 10 inches in diameter. As my dad and his friends were staring across the river, unable to detect the source of the rock thrower, another stone was hurled directly at them. The group scattered to avoid it as it hit the soil in between them. One of them grabbed the cobblestone, using both hands to do so. Slowly, they all went back to the fire. There was a moment of silence as none of them knew how to react. Finally, Lopez spoke, saying, who in the world can throw a rock like that across a river that big? An obvious question, but one they were all thinking. A few moments passed and it seemed to stop. They began to loosen up a little bit, enjoying their beer and almost getting to the point of laughing the incident off, when out of nowhere, John screamed, Wayne, watch out! My dad ducked, as yet another large stone came all the way across and hit their fire pit. That was enough. My dad and his friends withdrew their fishing poles, jumped into the truck, and left. They had talked a few times, trying to figure out what it was. The verdict was maybe some kids had come up with a big catapult or something, and they were just too well hidden for them to see. Well, you all guessed it. There's a part two to this story. At the end of the summer, a friend of my dad's named Tim called my dad to see if he wanted to catfish in the boat that night. Tim had bought himself a new aluminum boat that he kept wanting to fish out of. Reluctantly, my dad accepted, since he had turned him down all summer to hang out. It wasn't because of the previous events that took place, those were pretty much in the past by then. Tim, even though he was a friend, got on my dad's nerves. It was a full moon that night, and they decided to hit the river with the boat. Most of the night had been pretty uneventful, catching a few fish, having a few laughs, and obviously downing a few beers. It was the last leg of their journey when out of nowhere, something hit the boat. It was a very loud ping that shook them both awake in a half-dazed state. What the heck was all Tim could say before there was a loud splash in front of the boat. They both looked around, and it was there that my dad spotted it. On the south side of the river was a large silhouette. The river's pace had them just drifting along, 
but the moon and sky were clear enough that my dad could see the figure. He said it was big, whatever it was. The large silhouette bent over and grabbed another rock. My dad fired a shot into the air. The figure rose suddenly, and in the same awkward throwing motion, hurled another rock which flew over the boat, splashing behind it. My dad, fed up, fired again, but this time in front of the shadowy figure, not trying to hit it, but definitely trying to scare it. It didn't work, and the figure stayed side by side and paced with them. Tim, being the cowardly type, was freaking out. My dad was scared, but very curious as to what it was, why they were so big, and why they had been messing with them. He would not get his answer, though, as the river began to pick up pace, and in doing so, the silhouette sped up its walk in an effort to keep up with them. Finally, the figure just stopped and stared at them. My dad never stopped looking at the figure until it was out of sight. So you might be thinking, okay, your dad told you a Bigfoot story, but there's a problem with that. If you know my dad, he's very down to earth. If my brothers and I tell him a story about how big a fish was that we caught, my dad underestimates the size, even if he's wrong. The point being, he under-embellishes it. Even when he told me this story, he made it sound like it was no big deal. And he's never once said that it was actually a Bigfoot, though he still can't explain who or what it was. And number 10, That Creature in the Woods by Carlos. This happened when I was backpacking with friends through rural Arkansas high in the mountains. We were backpacking with fellow church youth. On the very first day, I noticed how quiet it was out in the woods. It was sort of an empty kind of quiet, as if all the animals and bugs had gone on vacation. Growing up in the country, you never hear anything like that, so it was strange. After a long and tiring five hours of walking, we finally decided to stop and rest for the night. The guys in the group, being young and stupid, decided to explore before it was dark, and we ended up finding a cave around 30 feet away from the camp. The cave was empty, but entertained us for a while. After that, we went to eat dinner, and for some reason, we didn't make a fire. After dinner, our counselor told us that we needed to use the buddy system when going out into the woods, especially when using the bathroom, and after that, we all went to bed. That night, I woke up with a very bad urge to pee. Thinking that I'd be fine and not wanting to wake anyone up, I decided to go alone. I climbed up the nearby hill to pee behind a tree near the top. Now, I know it was a bad idea, but I was half asleep. As I was going up, I heard a branch break nearby. It startled me pretty bad, but I assumed after hearing no sounds afterward that it was just an old or decayed branch. But a few moments later, there is a low and guttural growling nearby. It was very close, and as soon as I was done, I raced down the hill in a panic. As I sped by a figure that was nearly six feet tall, I realized that I had run in the direction that the sound had come from. I didn't turn to look back at the figure. Already terrified that I had run towards it, I ran into my tent and stayed covered in my sleeping bag for the rest of the night. Luckily, I didn't see or hear anything after that. My friends didn't believe me, but that doesn't change what I saw. The mountains are a diverse environment, home to all sorts of creatures, and often a fun place to hike and climb and test your mettle. But the mountains happen to be a very good place to hide, especially if you're a rare and dangerous animal or criminal. Keep that in mind the next time you're out in the mountains before you get yourself cornered in the most horrifying situation. Good night. Be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe if you enjoyed the video. Don't forget to send me your Goatman and Ravenmocker encounters at darknessprevails.org submit. If you want to support my channel further, you can do so for free 
by downloading my app Spooked on the Google Play Store for free. Or if you have a bit of cash, you can go to patreon.com slash darknessprevails. Donate any amount and you'll get your name in the credits at the end of these videos. If you can afford it as well, you can click the shop button below or go to morbidmonsters.com to buy some creepy cool merchandise like shirts and mugs. As usual, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous full video. About 10 creepy security guard confessions. Big Boss says, Daddy Darkness, have you ever played Metal Gear Solid? Don't hate me, but I haven't yet. But that just means I can experience it fresh. So maybe you're jealous. Diego Garcia says, more deep web stories, please. With the new Unfriended Dark Web movie coming out, or it's already out, I can't remember, yeah, that'd be a pretty good idea, though I'm not a huge fan of Dark Web stories. Christopher McCauley says, Five Nights at Darkness Prevails? Well, more like five minutes. It really disappoints my wife. D. Threestany says, I've been looking forward to this all day. Have a good vacation, Bryn? It was fun hanging out with family that I never get to see, but I do not like going to the beach. And Cody Gamer says, commit suicide. You got it, Cody, as soon as I figure out what the heck that is. Anyways, guys, thanks so much for tuning in to another Darkness Prevails banger. More scary stories are coming soon. Here are the credits to my patrons who continue to donate to support my channel. Until next time. This world is a strange one, so stay safe out there and stay creepy. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.